This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Lisa Traeger. And I am Kara Clank. And every week we take you through an episode of Law & Order SVU, as well as the true crime that it was based on. And then we interview a fantastic guest from the show. And yeah, today's another hot one. Lisa, what's going on? You are not in Los Angeles right now. No, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm doing my first uh, road gig since uh, the first weekend of March 2020. So I'm really excited. I'm so um, excited for you. Yesterday was a full day of travel. Like it was just um, all day, all night travel, which is fine. I ate edibles. I was in the groove. I took a bunch <laughs> of edibles last night. I was like, I'm going to sleep in. I can't wait to do comedy. We're going to record. And then I woke up to noises and I was like, oh, that's just the toilet singing. That's not n- none of my business. Put my feet <laughs> on the ground full soaking wet carpet the toilet from like that top thing just squirting water <gasps> out fully. oh my god stop it even the engineer came i go have you ever seen anything like this he goes never it was <laughs> truly insane water everywhere thank god nothing was plugged in and i i was responsible and hung up all of my dresses and my suitcase was on that little stand thing thank that they god. give you Yeah, it would have been upsetting, but yeah, water everywhere. But no one was acting like it was crazy. The guy downstairs was like, oh, right. I'm like, is there a new room? Will you offer me breakfast? What is happening that everyone was just chill? That's why the engineer finally, I was like, why is everyone being so relaxed? This is out of control. He goes, this is out of, yeah. Yeah, wait, so what did they do? I got moved down the hall. I heard him HVAC all morning. And then um, I closed the blinds, put on SVU on USA and fell asleep to the sounds of Taryn Manning murder. Um, But (laughs) yeah, that's it. And now I'm here. But I I think I'm going to try to finagle breakfast. But because of COVID, hotel things are still weird. There's not room service. The bars only open at four. You know, there's a lot of weird things. Yeah. But I did get really good late night sushi, which is pretty wild. In Philadelphia, okay. In Philadelphia. But today I went to a coffee shop. Google, if something is closed, why are you saying it's open? Yeah. Ran to a coffee shop to get some coffee to be energized. And it was closed. Had to go to Wawa. I had to get a mint mocha. Halfway through, it stopped pouring. You have to pay before. I was in, I was about to cry at at Wawa. (laughs) You're like, Philadelphia, what are you doing to me? (laughs) I go, I have to record a podcast. And um, he's like, we'll help you. We'll help you. So, um, but yeah, no, it is a really, it's really beautiful. My hotel's on the water. So I love that. Also, I mean, all I really see online now is Brittany. It's all about Britney Spears right now. I know. I am like devouring all the Britney coverage. It's amazing to hear her talk for herself after so many years of essentially being incarcerated like in her own home. I had no idea that she has an IUD in that her father will not let her go to the doctor to have removed. She wants to have a baby with her new boyfriend. Uh, And it's not even a new boyfriend. They've been together for years. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Yes. 
Um, my thing is, you know, she did take a while to speak out. And I wonder if the Free Britney movement, all the support from all her like colleagues and peers kind of helped her um, come forward. But I really hope this pushes the judges to make a better decision. And I went to that tour when she's like, I was forced to tour and I didn't want to. Like, I went to that concert. I feel terrible. Yeah. Like, and she was awesome. But yeah, her ba- her dad is a bad man. Bad. And like conservatorship laws need to be revamped like this is not okay like conservatorship laws are for like people who are completely like not non-compass mentis like people that can't you know speak not perfectly healthy 39 year old women who have like that are being put on lithium yeah like that's i i just i want the best for her and i hope this is like the push i hope um they end up and it's like if you think she's too sick to control all her money and control her family and all that then she's too sick to tour like you cannot she compared it to sex trafficking yeah because she didn't have her passport she couldn't drive she didn't have anything on her um and i just and then justin put out a fucking statement it's like have you no one we don't want anything from you we don't want anything from you right like such bullshit, but I hope this kind of, I mean, same with the doc, but I hope it informs the way people treat, um, quote unquote, like lunatic women out in public or whatever, you right. know, like we are all kind of guilty of how we treated her and Amy Winehouse and, you know, now yeah. with Demi Lovato, like we just all have to be a little bit smarter and better how we treat who we think or who the media has deemed like someone we can make fun of. I don't know. Right, right, right. In other court news, we do have court news. Um, Yeah. Well, not full news, but the Cameron Hooker early release hearing has actually been moved to today. So we'll have updates next week. It was supposed to be in March. Um, Thanks to everyone who wrote to the parole board. Um, But we'll find out today. And hopefully he will not be released from prison. And just to remind people, Cameron Hooker is the psychopath who held Colleen Stan as his sex slave in a box under her bed for seven years just in case you forgot. Um, And other news, other court news, Paul Bernardo of the Ken and Barbie killers, the Scarborough rapist was denied parole and he was denied day parole. I think, you know, there's some kind of parole where you can like leave and then come back to jail at night. He was denied all parole. So that's good news. Yeah. I have one friend who had to serve a month in jail and he had work release. So he would like go to work and then come back um, at night. But his family didn't want anyone to know like his extended family, what was going on. So they told all the family that he, he got LASIK. (laughs) and that's why his mom had to come help him drive him to and from work from jail but now like any like anytime there's a photo they're like take off your glasses because he has to keep this charade go or yeah yeah, the ruse that he got lasik i love that but he has glasses (laughs) my friend went to jail for three days but it was like in philadelphia actually and It was for like a pretty bad DUI where she also got found with drugs on her. And like she was for three days on bunk beds in a room, regular room, no bars, a door that that was unlocked. She could wear her regular clothes. I'm like, what kind of jail is this? Chill jail. But I guess she said the worst person she said the worst crime really that was in there with her was like a pharmacist who was like writing bad prescriptions. So I think it was like low, like not not violent. Yeah. Nonviolent crimes. Although a DUI is a is. Yeah. Yeah, you could hurt people. But back but. in the day, DUIs were seen chiller. You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of like we didn't have seatbelts in cars in the 60s and the 90s. Everyone drank and dra- drove in. There's just too many past and present tenses. For me to figure <laughs> that one out. Um, also, your mom came to visit. 
Yes, my mom came. She was very helpful with Oscar. She loves Oscar. Yeah, she's very good with him. And she met Lisa and she was very, she was asking me after she's like, so what else does Lisa do besides your podcast? I was like, comedy, baby. She's the comedy <laughs> yeah. dream. I um, like meeting your mom. I like when I was like, are you a vegetarian too? And she was like, absolutely not. Yeah, she was like offended. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wait. Speaking of my mom and a little bit of my childhood, because I asked her about this, I got literally no fewer than 400 messages from all of you guys. I mean, probably more between my own account and the That's Messed Up account. The Chipmunks movie has really resonated with you guys, and I'm so glad. I want all of you to know, some people wrote me saying, I thought I dreamed this movie. People wrote me saying, no one I've ever met has seen this movie. I want you to know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people out there that have seen it and are obsessed with it because they have all messaged me in the past week. And I don't know, what can I say? Chipmunk Hive, like we are uh, we are bonded now forever. And um, I want you guys to send me any updated Chipmunk news whenever you hear it. I know, um, but like, I was totally feeling left out i was like it's on youtube uh, though let's watch it okay <laughs> with rosie maybe yeah that would be really fun a lot of people tell me i loved it as a kid and i've shown it to my kids and they didn't care but i think i can get rosie into it she's into gummy bears and some other old stuff um so anyway you're not alone and also people have been writing to you lisa about the subway tuna because we happened to talk about it the week that subway tuna went viral which is what can I say? We dictate the trends here at That's Messed Up. I just know that I will get the tuna again. So it's like, <laughs> stop sending it to me. I don't care what it's made out of. It's good. No, I don't want to eat it anymore. I'll just go to Jimmy John's for the tuna. I'll, but <laughs> I love that they did a tuna DNA test on the sandwich food. Did I talk about the hills last uh, week too or no? Because yeah, you did. It is. It's just more and more upsetting. I feel so bad that no one intervened and went, Heidi, this is an abusive relationship. How about now still to this day? <laughs> he cut everyone that she loves out of her life. It is so like awful to watch. I mean, I can't stop. I will watch the whole thing, but it's just upsetting what they let reality television kind of. I don't know. It's just it's again, watching young women ruin their lives. And then it's like everyone just sitting being like, yeah, yeah. For entertainment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely upsetting. I wish I had a fun plane story or the cost. I don't know. I wish there was something, <laughs> something cool to end on. We do live exciting lives. I don't know. Why I'm really I'm excited. Like, I feel like so vicariously excited for you being on the road. I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to check into her hotel. She's going to get food. Then like tomorrow she's going to have the day. And then like she's going to yeah. eat all these other comics. It's like so fun. I did buy um, a ticket to go to the Barnes collection. Um, so I'm going to go to the Philadelphia Art Museum. But it is a cool crime documentary. It's called The Art of the Steel, if anyone wants to watch it. It's oh, on Netflix. Oh, yes, I've been meaning to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Philadelphia basically stole this man's artwork and changed his will, and it, like, fucked his wishes after he died, but I'm going to go look at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta see uh, these de you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I only know that because of our friend. Okay. <laughs> so our friends, we didn't talk about Father's Day. Our friends, um, who were close with instead of like oh it's a family hangout since they always see their kids all the time it's actually like mom or dad get their day off and so I did I got to go to the horse track with a daddy and <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it was just so much fun being at the horse track in California, the mountains, the palm trees, all the families out and about just like every, it was really a good time. And there was shaven ice. I had a hot dog. I won one race. I bet on a horse named Ricotta. And I know there's like ethical issues, but it was an awesome day. And I love, and then we went to Barcade. I found Qbert. Qbert's my number one game of all time. Hopefully I have a chipmunk type reaction, but I loved, I loved that vibe of like, oh, you're always such a good dad. Take the day off. Peace out. Go, go with your yeah. one friend. Me and the mom of this couple went to a hotel for the afternoon together and just laid by a pool. We're like, take the children away from us. This is what we want to do. It's the best. But Lisa, I would say always bet on ricotta. Yeah. (laughs) In every aspect of life, always bet on ricotta. I bet on all uh, the ones that had fun names. I bet on juror. Pro bono. bono. Yeah. I bet (laughs) on all the SVU themed horses, but um, it was just like, I love that I get to do boys night, but I did ask him, I go, how many people did you ask before you asked me? He goes, five people said no. And I go, well, it's okay. I, I did say yes. <laughs> My husband was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's get going with today's episode. All right, let's get going. We are talking about the episode head season five, episode 25. I got to admit, this episode title makes you think it's going to be about something completely different than what it's about. Right? Well, I keep singing, getting some head. I get, you know that song or no? Um, I, I was getting I some head. Song. You don't know that song at all. <laughs> I mean, Lisa, you're a little toned up. It's hard to know the songs. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant tone deaf, like it was an offensive song. I was like, it's just a song about head. No, uh, you told me that you're tone deaf. So no, sometimes when you sing a lyric, I I don't really, I can't place it. Get Getting some head. No? Okay. <laughs> I love this. Let's release this. This is our new theme song. It's just Lisa saying getting some head over and over. <laughs> um, okay. So this episode's from 2004. It's one of my like all time. Remember this one. It's always stuck in my head as a, as a great episode. So I was in high school. I was a senior in high school. Crazy. Oh yeah. I was out of college. Um, <laughs> a, so we open on a sassy professional woman with no time for bullshit who walks into a coffee house, orders her coffee. And then is like bathroom this way. And she's like, just having like a full devil wears Prada moment on the phone. And she drops her phone in the toilet. And that's when she like lifts up the seat to get her cell phone, her like flip phone out of the toilet. She realizes that there's a tiny toilet cam in the toilet. Okay. So now we cut to Elliot and Olivia inspecting the equipment with Ruben Morales from Taru, which a lot of people have been writing to us saying they have always thought Taru was a person. And that is not what it, it's like technical assistance response unit or something like that. It's like whenever they have to go through a phone, it's Taru. And stablers like peeping toms have gone high tech on us. It's like high tech people are always going to be pervy too. They're finding they're the new frontiers for everything that's like that's perverted. Um, so maybe I shouldn't say perverted. I mean, like, why not? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like, yeah, no, like they're perverts always... lead the charge of technology. Yes. And they yes. ruin everything. <laughs> but also, I love my iPhone. So I don't know. Wait, I don't know if this is a movie or real life or a show. I don't know anymore what is real or not, but someone was listening to porn on their phone and it was connected to the Bluetooth speaker. And so everyone was hearing the porn. I think that's probably definitely happened in real life, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
So they are at this coffee house where they found the camera and they're just looking around at like, you know, dozens and dozens of people on their laptops. And Benson's like, which one of them is the pervert? And Stabler's like the guy who downloaded the most crap. And I'm like, LOL. I guess it's like that's a double entendre about the toilet cam. Okay, so now we're in the top of act one. They've checked everyone in the coffee shop. It's none of them. Munch is in the, you know, giving his little quips where he goes, gives a whole new meeting to live streaming video. Whoa. Um, Huang says they are looking for a urophiliac, which is sexual attraction to urine or a coprophiliac, which is a sexual attraction to, and then Benson cuts him off before he can say it. But we know he's talking about poop. Okay. Oh, I thought it was going to be something else. Why well, I didn't really catch on, huh? Well, what did you think? Just filming pee, like not pee, <laughs> but like secret filming. I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, voyeurism. There's a vo- yeah, there's a voyeuristic nature, but urophiliac is sexual attraction to urine. Coprophilia is sexual attraction to um, feces, I guess. Um, so these are not heavily studied paraphilias, he says, but they often are the result of like a hostile home life or abuse where like a child can like turn inwards on themselves and become obsessed with their own bodily functions. So that's interesting. I never really knew that that was like, um, those two things were linked together. They said the guy is probably not dangerous. The guy who's planting these cameras, his crime is voyeuristic, but he's antisocial and he doesn't want any contact with the victims. Like, I don't think he's trying to hurt anybody. He just wants to watch them pee in peace. Finn and Munch go get info at a spy store to track down the equipment. And I think I've told you about this, Lisa. I don't want to get into like too much detail about it because I don't want to get my friend in trouble. But I told you about my friend who, you know, you've met before who has gone into a spy store and used spy equipment to spy on something before. Like, she but what are they spying on? Well, she was trying to take a test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah I, I, remember. I can't I can't reveal. Yeah, she was trying to take a test and and she was spying like using spyware, not to cheat on the test herself, but to get information for other people. It's kind of confusing, but I'm almost positive she went to this spy store because I think this is a spy store in New York in like the West Village or something. Anyway, so they go there. They meet Charlie, who is um, my played by my comedy obsession, Amy Sedaris. Are you Amy Sedaris fan? I'm, I love her so much. I am a huge Amy Sedaris fan. Um, she's also best friends with Sarah Jessica Parker. Any friend of SJP is a friend of mine. Yes. And um, I went to the premiere of At Home with Amy Sedaris and me and my friend were the first ones at the party and we were the last to leave. We couldn't get enough. It was like my first kind of big party like that. SJP was there. And I ended up going home with the pie because I was the last man standing. <laughs> they were like, get this pie out of here. So, this girl take And the it. pie with the crust said at home with Amy Sedaris on the pie. Wow. And the I, ultimate swag. <laughs> baked goods. <laughs> and so I obviously love her. But I also was in um, Horace and Pete. I know you didn't think I was going to go on a monologue, but I was in Horace and Pete with her. And she kind not scolded me. But I was friendly with one of the PAs and we'd worked together on a different show, too. And so I went, oh, you got sunburned. What did you do? And she went, that is so rude. And and so I was like uh, scolded by her a little. I would say that is a scolding for someone to just say that is so rude. Yeah. <laughs> like She scolded me. Not really. No, she did. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew each other and he was sunburned, you know, like yeah. if, you, if you're looking tan, I'm saying, what'd you do? <laughs> I I a step down from you went to the premiere party of one of her books, one of her like crafting books that's that spawned her television show. And it was really, really tiny at like the Bon Appetit like 
some Bon Appetit place in the New York Times building. So super, super tiny. And Sarah Jessica Parker, Matthew Roderick were there. And I did back up into Sarah Jessica Parker and then say, oh, excuse me. And we had like a little moment like that. Um, but I made Amy Sedaris sign my book, Greek Searches Jews Without Money, which is a quote from Strangers with Candy, which is one of my all time favorite shows and not something that I believe. Please don't come for me, Greek or Jewish people. That's funny, though. That's a good yeah. bit. That's so good. Um, but watching her work on Horse and Pete, I will say she's an improv, le obviously legend. Um, but like every take was different. She was making everyone laugh like no one could keep it together. And so I'm wondering, watching this scene, did she improvise? Was this written? Did they let Amy be Amy? Is this too long ago? Like, I wonder what yeah. it was, but she yeah. is perfect. I guess what we're saying is we're perfect. We're obsessed with her. Not we're perfect. She's perfect. And we love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Amy Sedaris plays Charlie, who is this like spy cam whiz. She works in the back of the spy cam shop and she does all the custom jobs. So she like knows she's like, I make 500 custom spy cams a year or whatever. Like she makes so many um, and she leads them to this porn production company called Fetish Manor. Um, and they are definitely using the cameras in a non spying way. Like everybody knows that they're being filmed at this place. They use these waterproof spy cams for like the shower, the toilets. This is basically a live stream porn where apparently viewers get to weigh in on what they want, which I don't even know if that exists today. And I think is very progressive for porn in 2004 for there to just be like, sort of like you control the porn stars porn. Have, have you heard of that? Well, I think it's just like OnlyFans or like if you're live streaming and then the, the or like camming and then people are typing like do this or I would I want to see this and then you can like tip money. But also I remember watching Real Sex when I was a kid and there was like a house of young women with cameras everywhere and they like lived their lives. And people could pay camera. to like just to like put like pop in and look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought it was like pretty I thought it was pretty progressive for 2004 and like put like the way, you know, that's the kind of thing I think people would be into now, like with camming. Exactly. Um, and we get a glimpse of Coco T herself in her first role on SVU. She's been in a three or four episodes, but this is her first role where she's listed as porn queen. And she comes like, you know, skittering down the sidewalk with like her huge boobs and is just like, we're coming, we're coming. And like, she has like a cute little line. So that was a fun, fun little, uh, the intro to Coco in the SVU universe. Um, then uh, Munch, they're back at the station and Munch is like, can you believe Fetish Manor has over 300,000 hits? It's like, yes, of course I can believe that, Munch. Like, people like to watch porn. Like, this is not incredible. All right. The next part is a little bit too much of a stretch for me for SVU. This random man walks into the precinct and goes, I think I may have run into the spy cam pervert. So this assumes that, like, this case is so big that everyone's read about it. This man remembers that when he was getting out of a cab, a man was rushing out of the coffee shop, holding a coffee cup from the coffee place, knocked it all over him. And uh, this is how they're finding the guy. They track this man's receipts on the cab. So they find the cab. Then they track who his next customer was. And it leads to the Knoll apartments. Okay. Here at the Knoll apartments, Olivia and Benson show up. Or no, it's Olivia and Munch. And we meet the most ridiculous character I've ever seen. This annoyed sunbather. Did you 
clock this guy. There's just this like hot guy who's sunbathing on the stoop of his New York apartment, which I have to say, I've never seen a single fucking person ever do like on the front stoop of your New York apartment, go and sit up on the tarmac, get up through the fire escape and like get up on the roof. What are you doing here? He's like, he's so annoyed. He goes, ugh, like barely opens his eyes. And he's like, uh, and I honestly, I looked to find this guy on IMDb because I was like, I pray this man has quit acting because he's so bad. But his character is like not even listed in the IMDb. If you find it, let me know. But I read through the IMDb and the fan wiki and like could not find like annoyed sunbather or like neighbor man or anything listed. He has information to give them, but he is simultaneously so bothered by their presence. Like he's such a weirdo. He just like, he's like, oh yeah, I've seen the guy around my building. He creeps me out. Like, I'm like, you creep me out. Go to Sheep's Meadow. Why are you sunbathing on the stoop? Sometimes you just got to squeeze in a tan when you can get it. I guess he was really, he was a very LA character in a New York show. I was like, you don't belong here. Um, and so he basically tells them, oh, it's like the first door on the left. Oh, get out of my son, Benson. And then they get to the apartment and who opens the door to the apartment, but Charlie, AKA Amy Sedaris. So she, they're like, all right, the jig is up, Charlie, what's going on? And she's like, it's my baby brother, Wade. Wade Donato, he's having trouble. He had trouble holding down a job. So he came to couch surf and he ended up staying for two years. That's got to suck. She admits that she made the cam for him, but she says he's not a pervert. He's just troubled. And she says we didn't have a pleasant childhood. So that kind of backs up what Huang said before. And they're like, you know, your brother is sick. Like, let us stop him so like we can get the, him the counseling he needs. So she dumps this huge box of like peace centric porn and homemade DVDs onto the ground and then just at that moment, Wade walks in. He's pissed, pun superintended, that people are invading his privacy. And he is played by the very, very funny James Urbaniak. So it is funny to see these two comedy people just um, playing this brother-sister troubled duo. In interrogation, Wade does not want to talk about it. He's like, this is my private thing that I do. Like, don't talk to me about it. And then Stabler walks in with his um, pee journal where he has documented all of his pee cam footage, like whether what kind of specimens people have passed, the color of the urine. Like he talks about, you know, what the butts look like. It's I mean, it's I, I'm being a third grader. It's an invasion of privacy and it's definitely a crime, but it is kind of funny. I'm curious to know what his favorite type of p is right are you loving like a light it's like me with rosé i like a light light pink rosé i don't really like a darker rosé but some people that's their thing you know yeah but they're sick in the head <laughs> you want a light rosé <laughs> i know i want it to be light blush pink if you want a dark one just drink a sangria Go get juice, you know, I'll also do that. Uh, um, <laughs> so he thinks he, he weirdly thinks he's done nothing wrong because the videos are for private use. And he's like, just like, give me let me pay the fine so I can bounce. And it's like, OK, you've got to know you're doing something wrong. You ran out of the coffee house and knocked a man over to get out of there. And. I think they mentioned Stephanie's law, which they said was passed in August. Now, I looked this up. Stephanie's law is um, moved unlawful surveillance to a class E felony punishable by up to four years imprisonment for first time offenders and up to seven years for repeat offenders. And it was named after a Long Island woman named Stephanie Fuller, whose landlord, Lisa, I know this is creepy. This is triggering for you because you did have somebody come and peep in your window. Her landlord had secretly videotaped her bedroom in her rented apartment. And so she got this law passed and like it sort of just like updated all the state and local peeping Tom uh, laws in New York. So 
I'm glad that happened. That reminds me of Erin Andrews. Do you remember like sh- people were spying on her through the hotel, the ESPN woman? Oh, no. I, I wonder if that. there's an SVU based on her. That was like such a big case. I think she won a lot of money. Whoa. Um, there definitely is a sportscaster SVU where something happens, but I think it's more of an assault thing. And there's like, aren't there rules like you can tape someone as long as there's n- they're not talking, as long as there's no volume or something, which I think seems fucked up. I don't know about that. Okay. I don't know. We have to look that up. <laughs> um, so now, like, basically, they're getting Wade shook. Like, he's realizing now that he, like, has, as actually stands to serve some jail time here. So he's spooked. He wants to make a deal. And he basically is like, I've got something you can work with. Go to, like, hour 12, minute 52 on this tape and check out what, check out what there is. Like, he, know, he in his mind, knows exactly the time code of this place, which I think speaks to his. But you know this is whole, upsetting. Yeah. So they go and they check out the camera and they see footage of a young boy coming into the bathroom stall crying, possibly having been attacked. He's got a cut over his eye. And then you see an adult from just like the sort of like midsection down come in and assaults him on camera before the camera goes out. So you you can't actually tell you can't see the face of the person who it is or anything, but it's pretty upsetting because it's just like you're just watching kind of like two bodies. Like, Well, I also don't I mean, I understand he didn't want to get caught, but if he sent it secret, I mean, I, to sit on this and not do anything about it, like go to jail. Yeah. I fucking hate him. I know that's it's pretty bad. You got to see something. If you see something on your PCAM, say something. Come on. So now we're in a holding cell and Stabler feels the way you feel. Okay. So, cause we're in a holding cell now and Stabler grabs Wade and starts like, you know, doing his manhandling tough guy act. And he's really mad that he saw that this guy saw this go down and did nothing. And, um, you know, Wade's like, what was I supposed to do? Tell you that I captured it all on my PKM or whatever. Like he's like, you know, and then Wade gives it up that it was recorded in Central Park and that he was too far away to like identify anyone or see the perp. So now they're at Teru and Morales is using some kind of na- equipment that they've borrowed from NASA to clean up images. I've heard that this is kind of a bullshit thing that procedurals do where <laughs> yeah. they go enhance, enhance, and they can clean up photos like ever. Like I've I, like Adam ruins. Everything is a show that my friend used to host that they talked about it where like they were like a picture is a picture. You can't just like change what the pixels are, you know, like, but maybe NASA has some tricks we don't know about either way. They're able to like fully clean up this photo and get like a very, very clear picture of this guy's face. They're able to distinguish the fact that the perp takes a cup out of his pants, like an athletic cup. And they see that the cup is being held by manicured nails. So the perp is a woman or a drag queen. I mean, but I mean, I guess they're kind of ruling it out. It's a, it's a woman. So they figure out um, the location, the game schedule, the team color, and they narrow it down that this kid plays for the Bulldogs. Because I'm sorry, I think I forgot to mention that when the kid comes into the bathroom, he's wearing a soccer uniform. So that's how they narrow it down that he plays for the Bulldogs. They check their schedule and they go to the game and they identify this boy on the tape as Shane Madden, who they're talking to the coach and he's like, he's our star forward. They said Shane got kicked out of the game that day for fighting. And that his mom was there and she was wasted. Okay, so now we're at Shane's school where the principal, we meet the principal named Meredith Rice. And she uh, points out Shane when he's at band practice. She says she doesn't have much interaction with him because he's such a good student. So, like, you know, she only sees the troublemakers. Um, They asked Shane what happened. 
He kind of denies it at first. And then he says it was a stranger that a stranger just came in and attacked him. And then when they kind of press him a little bit more, he's like, you guys suck and leaves. So he's mad. The principal kind of reiterates the claim that the mom is a drunk, that she came to career day wasted, which I kind of love. I mean, I kind of love a beautician who comes to career day a little bit sauced. I think that's fun. Uh, maybe not for the kid, but just in general for me <laughs> as a TV watcher. Um, and she works at a place called Creme de la Crop. And I was, Lisa, I was wondering how um, you having worked at a salon formerly, how, how do you feel about the name Creme de la Crop? I hate it because crop <laughs> sounds a lot like crap. <laughs> like crop. I think of maybe even corn. Like I, I've never thought haircut equals crop. So I think it's a bad. It era. is an old way to say like, oh, she had short, closely cropped hair or something like that. It's, it is an old school way. But like, I hear what you're saying. It I be feel a good name. like creme de la creme would be a fine name. <laughs> like you don't even need a pun <laughs> or fuck it. Just call it creme. Yeah. I got my hair done at creme. Yeah. Less money on the signage. Yeah. We are. We should literally be on Shark Tank. OK, <laughs> they go to the salon. The mom is like really not that concerned. She's just like, my son is so hot. Like she's really obsessed with how attractive her son is. And like, no wonder people are going after him. He's hot. But then they're like, no, he was assaulted by a woman in the bathroom. And she's like, what? Like then she kind of snaps out of it. And um, they ask the mother, were there any non moms at the game? And she says, Cindy Bellamy, Shane's old babysitter. So this is like a weird side note. They go talk to Cindy. She was like, I was at the game babysitting other kids. I'm a strict babysitter, but the kids have fun. And 1250 an hour is nothing to sneeze at. And I'm like, yes, it is, girl. Sneeze at 1250 an hour. I was making $20 an hour in the mid 2000s babysitting in New York. You got to move on up. That's just because it's like New York. Everything's more expensive. Didn't you get paid more in New York than 1250 an hour? So I worked with an agency. So I made less than what you th I think you would have made being a loose independent contractor of a babysitter <laughs> um but i enjoyed the job i think i only made like 15 16 to be honest still better than 1250 i weirdly got so many of my babysitting jobs off craigslist i would put myself on craigslist and be like i'm an experienced babysitter i'm a camp counselor all this stuff and people would just contact me and i would like babysit for their families for years off of craigslist by the way did i tell you my nephew is a camp counselor this year you did. And okay, it makes good. me, it fills my heart with joy. Now, my question is, is his girlfriend going to, or are they going to write letters from camp? I haven't, you know what? That's a good, uh, good question. I, he's also going to college. I bet he's going to have a few more girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I well, <laughs> hope spilling. she doesn't listen. Hope she doesn't listen. Lisa is not giving a good prognosis for this teen romance. <laughs> no, she looks great. I forgot that he did tell me people from his school do listen. Uh, but maybe they'll work it out. I don't care. I just, uh, <laughs> I should not okay. spill their beans. I bet he doesn't even know. I know that he has a girlfriend. I was just stalking on Instagram and digging through everything. <laughs> well, he had a necklace with a, a half heart Lego. That's a girlfriend. No, no, just friend. No is boy is walking that. around with a half heart Lego. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is for me and my best guy friend. We just like love Legos and we love friendship. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, Cindy's like a silly little red herring. Like she's basically like, I would never touch a kid. I'm dating one of my professors. I like older men. <laughs> and she basically steers suspicion back towards the mom. She's like, the mom is so drunk. I used to babysit for him and he would she would come home drunk, so wasted with a younger guy than she loved. Left with she's into young guys like so this is the this is like where they're trying to steer you 
Cragen is incredulous. He's like, I woke up with plenty of regrettable bedmates in my drinking days. And I just like love the idea of Cragen waking up hungover and being like, fuck, not Deborah. Oh, God. <laughs> like, you know, um, so so they're like, go check out the mom again, like at the game. But I, I mean, Cragen's kind of like, I don't know, like there's one thing is being a drunk and the other thing is like being a pedophile and an ancestral pedophile to your own child. So they go to a Bulldogs game and they find out that the sweatshirt that the perp is wearing in the video, it's like this light blue sweatshirt. They, it's actually a booster club sweatshirt and every mom at the game has one. Like there's like 20 women at this game that have the same sweatshirt. I love that. I love being like, we got the evidence. And it's like, uh, we all have it. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) We sold these as merch basically. And there are dozens and dozens of these sweatshirts out there. And, uh, the drunk mom, Mrs. Madden also has one. She's wearing one. She's trying, she's drinking a roadie, like out of a plastic cup. Olivia's like, ma'am, have you been drinking? Can I check what's in your cup? And she's like, oops. And just spills all the booze out onto the ground. I mean, I kind of love her. She's really fun. Um, not to be a mom, not to be a mom, just to observe as a television character. Uh, Stabler notices that the principal Meredith Rice is over like in a far field talking to Shane, but this isn't a school team. So like, what would she be doing there? And we see Shane and the principal hug. And then the principal leaves with another young boy. So Benson and Stabler follow her and they're like, hi, principal Rice, what's going on? And she's like, oh, this is my stepson. She's acting super sketchy. Like she's acting like she can't wait to get the hell away from them. Um, They're kind of like, why are you here? And she was like, oh, my son's in an older league. And so he plays, you know, in a field next door or whatever. And she's like. They're like, why were you talking to Shane? And she's like, I'm, I gotta go. We're late for a pizza party. Also, I know this is, I mean, now I want pizza, but off topic, I wonder if these children know how lucky they are to be playing intramural sports at fucking Essential Park. I know. (laughs) Like the kids whose school or camps and sports are in Central fucking Park. Like, I don't know if New York kids understand. No, they probably do. I got to play like softball once in Central Park with like my page program league. And I was like, this is so cool that I'm playing a game in Central Park right now, like on the baseball. I'm glad you knew you knew (laughs) I I recognized. I don't know about these kids, Um, but I just think it's funny that she's like "Uh, officers were late for a pizza party. So if you guys like definitely want the cops to know that you're guilty, just tell them you're late to a pizza party (laughs) because you couldn't think of a better excuse. Yeah, you could be late to a pizza party. No one cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. The cheese is going to be all cold and hard when we get there. We got to go. Um, and she keeps walking with her son like he's an elderly widow. She keeps like putting shawls around him and like ushering him away. It's just very, very strange and funny. And uh, so then now they're looking into the principal. The principal's got a stellar record. She's been married for seven years. She's got one stepson. Finn and Munch uh, chased down some footage of the game from two weeks ago, and there's no sign of the principal in the footage. But there is a full like still photo of Shane's mom falling into the mud when she tried to get involved (laughs) in a fight. And she's not wearing her sweatshirt at that time. So that rules her out like she wasn't wearing her sweatshirt that day. Um, Finn goes to talk to the stepson and he's like, I love her. I love my stepmom. Like, you never hear this narrative. I love my stepmom. And then meanwhile, Stabler goes to talk to Shane and gives him a business card and the number for Altine, which is like Al-Anon, like uh, support groups for relatives of alcoholics. So um, he brings up the principal and Shane makes a face and then tries to leave. And uh, 
so you're getting these sort of intercut interviews and then like back to the stepson, they ask the stepson, like, has anything been weird lately with uh, your stepmom and your dad? And he's like, oh, they have been fighting lately and they never fought before. And she said, and he says, she even yelled at me, which I guess she's never really done. So they ask a bunch of teachers what's going on and they all say, oh, she's pulled Shane from class a bunch recently. And once Shane had a note that looked like it was written by a kid, but Mrs. But Principal Rice confirmed it was her handwriting. So they're looking at all Olivia is like going through this stack of like student reports that the principal files and notices that like progressively throughout the time, Meredith's signature is getting like sloppier and sloppier. So that's just like a little hint for what we find out in the future. At Principal Rice's house, Stabler reveals that Meredith and Shane have now both gone missing. Okay. He tells uh, the husband, uh, we think your wife has been molesting this boy, Shane. And when he asks, um, do you have any suspicions about her behavior with your son? The guy takes a swing at Stabler. Not a great move. If you swing at Stabler, you better be sure you don't miss because he's going to put you in a headlock. And that's what he does. Um, And he does admit something's changed in my wife. She hasn't been herself. She's been preoccupied. She snaps at little things and she's a tiger in the bedroom. Just cannot get enough sex um so basically their car is missing from their garage she's taken the car and shane and they get a call that they're on a highway in new jersey someone spotted the car with the license plate number like 12 cop cars and a helicopter show up this is how important it is to rescue this boy it's a full operation it reminds me of like the final scene of the undoing if you've seen that and uh when they get, they get open the car door, they grab Shane and Meredith is like in the backseat of the car throwing up. So they arrest her. So this is like very weird. Like what's going on? Are you drunk? Why are you barfing? Like it's, you know, there's a lot happening here. So when they are in interrogation, Benson's taking a run at this woman. Okay. At, at principal rice. And she's like, my head is splitting. And she says, she knows what she's been doing is wrong. Um, she says that the soccer game two weeks ago was the first time. And she followed him into the bathroom because he was crying and she wanted to check on him. And the next thing she knew they were having sex. So I don't know if she's blacking out or what, but she's obviously that's from what you see on the video. It wasn't like there was a romancing. It was just started happening. She says the first time he resisted, but after that he couldn't get enough. So they're like, okay, do you always take orders from sixth graders? And she's basically like, when and when you say sixth grade, like the kid looks a little bit older to me, but like when you say sixth grade, I'm like, damn, that is so freaking young. Like, that's really, really awful. So she's spiraling out. She's like, my life is a nightmare and I don't know why. And then suddenly she lunges at Stabler and starts making out with him. He slams her against a wall and she starts having a seizure. I mean, he slams her against a wall in a way of like, get off of me, lady. And then she starts having a seizure. Um, Now, that's considered, I guess, sort of an attack on a suspect. So Ed Tucker shows up. Everybody's hated IAB guy. At this point in the series, everybody hates him. Obviously, later people warm up to him. And Elliot's like, I'm waiting for my rep. And he brings up um, he brings up Stabler's interview from Slaves, actually, where he talks about dreaming about killing pedophiles. So it's like he you're, you're a person we know likes to rough people up. You know, you're like, we've got a little red flag on you over at IAB Stabler. Um, the doc comes out and says they found something on her CT scan. They're rushing her to surgery now. And then it turns out she has a brain tumor the size of a baseball. 
So now Novak is talking to her surgeon, who is Dr. Anne Morella, played by Julie White. Um, she this is this character's been in five SVU episodes and is a recurring brain surgeon, it seems. She's a who, professional. Uh, yeah. She was yeah. stretching in a way where I'm like, yeah, you did just get out of a lung surgery. Yeah, because she was like, it took us eight hours, but it looks like we got it all. And um, I'm glad you noticed her stretching. Work. It was so good. It was really good. <laughs> um, Novak is like itching for an arraignment. She's like, I need to arraign this woman quickly. And the doctor's like, well, she's not going anywhere for five or six days. And Novak's like, no problem. We'll get a judge and a clerk down here for a bedside arraignment. And the doctor's kind of like, hold up, Novak. Like, you know that the damage to the frontal lobe can diminish impulse control. And um, she still, she knows it's wrong, but the tumor is affecting the, the area of the brain that controls behavior. So there's like a difference between action and thought in this situation. And the doc says, you know, it's possible that she might not be a pedophile anymore post-surgery. This might not be a, like an issue for her. Novak is chatting with Wong and says, what are they going to do? Write a note that says, please excuse Meredith for molesting boys. She had a bad tumor. Good one, Novak. Um, and Huang says, it's a really good case for acquired sociopathy. Meanwhile, three other victims have come forward at this school. One said that Meredith hugged and kissed him, and the other two said they were fondled. So she's been doing this a bunch lately. And it's all happened like lately because she says that this game two weeks ago is the first time that she even did anything with Shane. Huang argues that she lacked the mens rea to be accountable for her actions. But did she act on those tendencies before the tumor or are the tendencies still there? Nobody knows. She wants to do anything to cl clear her name. So she uh, submits to doing brain mapping, which is like an experiment where they're going to like put VR goggles on her. So they're going to show her sexual images of children and see, you know, what it does to her brain, like if her brain responds. Um, she claims like she's fine now. I would never do anything like this. I know the damage it can cause and admits that she was molested starting at age eight for four years by her grandfather. So after the scan and the, the brain mapping, she shows no signs of arousal at these images. She's basically no longer a threat to society. And Novak says it has to pass the Dobert test to be admissible. Um, so just FYI, the Dobert standard is a rule of evidence regarding the admissibility of expert witness testimony. You may have heard it referred to as the Fry standard. That's what I remember learning when I was growing up. And um, that is the law in certain states, California being one of them. But the Dobert standard is now the law in federal court and in over half of the states. So just so you know. Thank you for explaining that, Kara, because I had no idea and was not going to look it up. So <laughs> thanks so much for helping me and the listeners. So um, Huang points out that her handwriting has gone back to normal after the surgery. So that's when we saw earlier her handwriting getting all sloppy. It's like, you know, after you have a stroke or you have like a neurological incident, your handwriting can change. And so her handwriting's back to normal. And um, Huang explains that her own molestation as a child lowered her set point. So she was basically predisposed to something like this. Um, Cragen said he found a similar case in Virginia where a tumor was found when the man was in jail. They removed it. He was released. And a year later, he molested again because the tumor had grown back. So Novak is like pretty stuck on this. She doesn't really know what to do here. They're in uh, talks now with her lawyer, who is Cleo Conrad, a.k.a. Jill Marie Lawrence, 17 episodes of SVU, a classic defense attorney. They offer her rape three, which is five years of probation and periodic psych and medical evaluation. 
and Meredith is not allowed to have any future contact with the victims and she has to register as a sex offender. She takes the plea. Her doc, her, her lawyer's like, don't do it. Like she'll never be able to work with children again. And she's like, no, the children need to be protected in case something like does happen again. And she takes the plea. So Stabler uh, goes to visit Shane and he seems really sad. He has dropped out of band, dropped out of soccer and uh, said Jason Rice, who is Meredith's stepson, slugged him in the cafeteria for breaking up his family. Not really his fault. Uh, And Shane is sad that Meredith won't talk to him because he's like, I thought she loved me. He thought he was like in a relationship with this woman, which is sad. And he's like, I just want to die. And Stabler's like, I'm going to get you some help. And they basically are like, yeah, he's going to need a lot of therapy. And like, there's not good odds that he'll have a healthy sex life. Um, And there are good odds that he'll become an offender because the cycle of abuse just kind of like rages on. And then they get a call about an incident at Meredith's house, the principal. So they head over there and Mrs. Madden is there. I love that we get to see her one more time. Shane's mom is there. She's wasted. She has attacked Meredith and said that Meredith has tried to call Shane. And they're like, why did you call him? You know that that's part of your deal, that you're not allowed to have any contact with any of your victims. And she's like, he had a right to know I'm pregnant. So that's fucking nuts that this principal is pregnant with her sixth grade students, baby. Mrs. Madden wants the baby terminated. And they're like, why did you call Shane? She's like, I don't know. My husband's leaving me. My stepson won't talk to me. I lost my home, my job. And the irony is all I've ever wanted is a baby of my own. And I guess it's like, be careful what you wish for, because now you have that baby and you have literally nothing else. She's do you think she's going to keep the baby? I do. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this episode, like it's it's like I think it's sad because what I like about this episode is I think that like I really hate shows like that sexify having sex with your teacher, like making it like super hot. Like I don't, I've never even watched a teacher on Hulu, but I was like so annoyed that they made it. I'm like, how many more of these are we going to make? We're going to like, there's already a couple other SVUs about this, like just making it like sexy to, or cool to be in a relationship with your teacher. And I think in this one, they really show how it fucks Shane up and it's not good. It's not cool or hot to bang your principal or your teacher. Agreed. but let's take a little break and then um lisa i'm excited for you to take us through the true crime okay we're gonna dig into this so october 2002 the bbc news reports that a brain tumor caused a 40 year old man to become obsessed with sex and molesting children he was a married school teacher from the u.s who had no previous history of sexual offenses he was married to his second wife and lived with her daughter who was his stepdaughter everything is good and then he did end up having an egg-sized tumor in the right lobe of the orbital frontal cortex and this is the part of the brain responsible for judgment impulse control and social behavior okay so so far this is like exactly the same yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) except i guess it's a guy you know 
maybe not a principal. We don't know any information about him. So basically, guys, it's like we assume this man was British because all the press and articles about it are British spelling and British publications uh, and their rules are different. So we don't learn about his name or identity, but everything about him is like it's an American guy. It's an American guy. It's an American guy. So I have no idea what is going on. Yeah. And all the doctors that have been working with him are also in the U.S. So I don't know what's going on with like maybe the British or just like broke the story i have no we idea. have a lot of psycho we i think we have like a lot of people that are in grad school for psych and stuff like that that listen to our podcast so if you've studied this case and you know what's up with the american versus british representation let us know because please it's very confusing Basically, his behavior, what first started happening is he was secretly visiting child porn abuse websites. And then he started going to massage parlors. And then his wife found out all of this stuff. And then she found out that he was making sexual advances towards his prepubescent stepdaughter. And then she found his collection of like child sexual abuse images. So she evicted his ass. She was like, get the fuck out of here. You're trying to like rape our daughter, make advances. I found all these this other like horrific stuff you're out of here so he was prescribed some medroxyprogesterone um and that is a drug that regulates women's periods but also has been prescribed to patients with sexual disorders interesting yeah so this sounds more british like instead of throwing someone in prison it's like how do we help this person not be a fucking pedophile so yeah, so they put him on this medication, but he was found guilty by the courts of molesting children and entered a treatment program for convicted pedophiles. He was then kicked out of the program after asking the women there for sex constantly. He was making advances towards the staff and all these other clients, and he was just like a mess, okay? So they're like, you gotta get out of here. Sorry, can I just ask, at this point, they don't know about the tumor? They don't. Or they do? No. They don't, okay. They don't. You guys know, but they don't know yet. So, um, so yeah, he was making all these advances. So he was kicked out and that obviously breaks the arrangement. So he has to go to jail. So it's like this treatment or the jail, you're getting kicked out of treatment. But the night before he was supposed to go into prison, he went to the hospital and said, I have a giant headache and I'm scared. I'm going to rape my landlady. What? So he was also having issues with balance also. And that's what actually gave, the psychologist and neurologist like, okay, something might be up because they were all very skeptical and thought that he was just trying to avoid his impending incarceration. But they examined him because of the balance and... Yeah, they did it. So this was at the University of Virginia. And then in his medical history, it said he had a head injury in 1984 and was knocked unconscious for two minutes. They don't know if that is connected to the tumor or not or help grow it. But that's that. Just a tidbit. So, yeah, like I said, the neurologist and everyone was suspicious of the man's motives. But there were things legit wrong with him, like his balance and, you know, stuff like that. And he also had weird handwriting issues. Okay. His feet were more widely spread than they should have been. Um, One of his arms was stiff. And so they had emergency surgery after an MRI scan showed that he had an egg-sized tumor in his brain. They did more tests and found out he was unable to write and also would piss himself and not care at all. What? In the time leading up to pre-finding the egg? Pre-finding the egg, yeah. Like, he would be chatting and, like, trying to fuck all these people at the treatment center while just, like, pissing himself. He couldn't write. Like, he seemed illiterate as hell and just, like, a whore. Like, yeah. So, those are the things that kind of helped him. (laughs) Yeah. And now everyone knows if you start acting different, 
it might be your frontal lobe. You know? Right. Check it out. <laughs> um, so they removed the tumor. And in seven months, he completed his sexaholics anonymous treatment and was living again at home. But then done, done. October 2001. <laughs> so a year later, this happened in 2000. So October 2001, he complained again about headaches and started to secretly collect porn again. The tumor had regrown. They didn't get all of it. So it like the little that was left grew again. So they removed it again and the behavior stopped again. But this time with like the second tumor, he went straight to the hospital before he did anything illegal or bad. So he understood that his new behaviors were unacceptable. But in his words, he would say like the pleasure principle overrode his restraint. And that's like what happened in the episode where she knew it was wrong, but yeah. could not stop herself. Like, yeah, yeah. Doctors said that this was the first known case of pedophilia caused by a tumor. And two of the doctors from the University of Virginia who treated him said that the tumors can cause people to become sex offenders, but like only if it's a sudden change. Like if you are always a pedophile, you can't blame the tumor. So it's right. like if you're always been a sexual deviant and creepy and like harassing waitresses and then you're like, oh, but the tumor. No, but yeah. you can blame the tumor or like. The tumor can cause it if you were an upstanding citizen, did not want to rape children, and all of a sudden there's a change. So that's kind of like mm -hmm. the tumor rule is it needs to be um, someone without a history of yeah. bad shit. And the doctors were saying that it's difficult to diagnose or find because we're dealing with the neurology of morality. It doesn't affect physical health. So a doctor might never suspect anything. So you might be living this nightmare and behaving in ways that you're not accustomed to and you might be confused about it, but no doctor would see you acting different. It, it, it's just hard to detect because there's nothing well, actually right. physically happening. I think once you line up all of the, the pissing yourself... <laughs> the handwriting, the like headaches, you know, I mean, my brother's a neurologist and I feel like that's like most people start coming in with like headaches, right? Like, and then you find out, uh -oh, you know? Yeah. My friend used to date this guy who had like a bulging eye and we would always make fun of him behind his back. And then we felt bad because it was a tumor pushing his eye out. <laughs> So go to the doctor, guys. I'm glad you felt bad. <laughs> um, the Atlantic had a piece um, that said, we take certain drives for granted. Like if you're hetero or homosexual or aggressive, non-aggressive children or adults, and we think it's free choice, but biology can fuck with that. So wow. just another thing to be grateful for that you have control over your... Um, actions desires yeah. yeah so this is the the spooky part where sudden pedophilia shows that there can be hidden drives and desires that are luring and undetected so even like the frontal lobe um controls behaviors and impulse control and all of that but these things could still be in your brain and you just know not to act on them. They're just like lying dormant. Yeah. Yes. So it could be in your brain and one tumor can leash it all out of there. But it means it's oh in there. God. Like if it's not in there at all, your brain's not going to just suddenly do it. Well, I think that's what they were saying with this woman is like because she had been molested, she had some, you know, dormant issues that this tumor just sort of exacerbated. And like, like you said, like unleashed. Yeah. So the, when the frontal lobe is compromised, people with that become disinhibited and 
wild behaviors can emerge. And uh-oh, it's just like, hopefully you don't have fucked up dormant shit in your brain. That's just going to pop out. Because that's my thing. Like, did this guy... Like, yeah, we only use 20% of our brains. Who knows what's in there? Who fucking <laughs> knows what's going to pop out? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's also scary because this isn't the same, but there's uh, frontotemporal dementia. And this happens to older patients, but they just lose control of their frontal and temporal lobes. And they just can't control any of these impulses. And so they start violating social norms. So it doesn't always have to be sexual. People can just start shoplifting in front of people or getting naked in public and Mm. so on. And, you know, we're not all educated in neurology. So you're probably like, grandma's gone nuts. And you're like, bring her in. But like, she, it's just... It's a lot. Yeah. This is crazy to look at. And these cases are difficult because they do end up in court often, but it's not the perpetrator's fault because the brain has degenerated and there's no remedy offered by medicine in a lot of these cases. When you're yeah. tempor- Like if it's not a, a tumor that they can remove and it's just damaged to those parts of your brain, they can't do anything about it. So you're not actually responsible for your actions, but... There's nothing they can do to help you. So what do you do with these people? Well, I mean, it's like CTE also. Like you have CTE from having like a lot of head trauma, right? That can affect your frontal lobe. And like you see athletes that have done things like where they've murdered people or had, you know, CTE damage. And you can't even diagnose that until they're dead. Yeah. And as humans, we like to think like, I don't gamble, so I'm strong willed, but not everyone is equally free to make socially appropriate choices. This isn't a morality Olympics. You're not more or less in control or a better person or good if you're able to not engage in certain behaviors that are outside of our societal norms. But some people don't even have the option to make those choices. And so we should be more compassionate to people doing freaky shit in the streets. Yeah. Me personally, when I start gambling, I don't have that much (laughs) self-control. Really? I didn't know you were a gamble addict. Oh my God. You'll see when we go to Vegas eventually. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm like, just let me a hundred dollars. I'll give it right back to you. Like, Oh my God. I get crazy. (laughs) Hell yeah. What's your game? Roulette. That's okay. That's like the silliest I of them all. Fucking love roulette. Do you ever I win? Yes. <laughs> okay. I I'm a hold'em girl, but I get my ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm not gonna play these games where I have to like. I sometimes I play the games like blackjack where I there's like people at the table that I'm like, what do you think I should do? And they're like, stay. And I'm like, okay. I just listen to their advice. Like I don't actually know like what I'm doing with those games. But roulette, I have my strategies, even though it's a full game of chance and I'm completely delusional. Um, And the show hacks in one of the episodes. There's a scene where she gets a blackjack dealer to come to her house because she's so rich. She's like, I don't need to play with riffraff. This bitch comes here and that's yeah. nice. Casinos are disgusting. I People can smoke inside. I love that. She yeah. has her personal dealer and she just plays blackjack at home. Oh. Amazing. And what this is not based on this episode, but just something I'd like to add is there's another case of a man in August 1966, Charles Whitman, who out of nowhere murdered 13 people, wounded 32 more, like a full-blown rampage murdering strangers, murdered his mother, stabbed his wife to death in her sleep, and then killed himself. And the medical examiner found a giant tumor in the front of his head. Oh, my God. 
So he was like an upstanding citizen and then out of nowhere, one tumor and so much damage. Yeah. So the sociologist, Dr. Sarah Good, she works with people who are at risk of turning thought into action. And most therapists don't work with these types of clients, but she basically believes there has to be a better way we can treat medical like treat pedophiles medically and this is controversial i don't even know if i believe in this but she said an important aspect of pedophilia is sometimes people will realize they're a pedophile and they're not happy about it you know they're horrified they're ashamed they're grossed out they're not and there's nowhere they can reach out for help there's multiple episodes on svu based on this and so you know she's just like there should be a place where people can go to get help on this before they do anything illegal and like damage people's lives. So that's just something to think about, but I don't know. Yeah. SVU really like just grabbed this one straight from this. Well, we talked to Neil bear about this. Like he read about this person and that's when he came, that's how he came up with that uh, idea for this episode. So And then I was on a flight and I watched a documentary called Crazy and Not Insane. Um, And so randomly while working on this, I was on a flight and this happened to be one of the options on Delta. But um, Dr. Dorothy Lewis could give Michael Baden a run for his money because (laughs) obsessed with her. I am like fully in love with her. Um, (laughs) But she is kind of a revolutionary in terms of like, neurology and brain stuff and attributing it to killers and diagnosing multiple personalities and just like that there's more to criminals than just like bad they're not just bad they're not just crazy there's like more to it and it's kind of like um in the show how she was predisposed to have these thoughts because she was molested and so a lot of criminals like have horrific childhoods yes um and then their frontal lobe gets fucked with their scarring all of it comes out and so she was like laughed off the stand and not respected and really hated for a while in her career and now she's like a badass bitch so (laughs) So if you're flying Delta anytime soon, check that out. Yeah, because it's brain damage and predisposition, like both of those together. And so she was able to like she would meet clients and murderers. She's worked with Ted Bundy. She just wanted to see deeper within them. And so, say what the name of the um thing was. Crazy, not insane. Yeah. Dr. Dorothy Lewis. We love her. We stand. Oh, it's on HBO Max. Oh, so okay. if you want to just watch it, it's on HBO Max or HBO on demand or whatever. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for taking us through that extremely interesting crime. I'm very interested in that. And we'll be right back with our very special guests. Okay. Our next guest is a classic character actor. You've seen him in so many movies, TV shows, uh, movies like Henry Fool and American Splendor. He's been in The Office, Homeland, and he plays an iconic character, Arthur Tack in Difficult People, one of my favorite shows. But you may know him more recently as Wade Donato in Head. Uh, Check out our interview with James Urbaniak. We are very thrilled. You might be one of our first um, red herrings that we've had on. Yes, yes. Very exciting. (laughs) An essential part of the procedural. Yeah, we obviously wanted to talk to you. Your character is a this is a classic episode. A lot of people have asked us for this episode. um, And your character is just like the classic red herring, which we love. Like you're putting 
cameras into bathrooms and you're yes. real, you're a urophiliac. I looked it up. You're a urophiliac, your character. Which is interesting because my real last name is Urbaniac, which uh, <laughs> is very similar to urophiliac. So I was meant to play the role, clearly. <laughs> yes, for sure. So what did you think when you like first got this script? Were you like, okay? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I thought this is so me. <laughs> Not in terms of acting, I may add. Not real life. So who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I, have, uh, I have played many red herrings on procedurals. I've been on a lot of procedurals. They're the bread and butter of the working actor, as you know. We noticed. Yeah, you've been on a lot. But I have sort of played a gallery of oddballs, freaks, weirdos, pervs, occasionally really bad guys, and then occasionally just unpleasant people. I'd say he's a bad guy, though. He's not the primary bad guy, obviously. He's the classic red right. herring who leads you to the uh, really bad person. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, this is up my alley. And uh, I had done Criminal Intent the year before, uh, where I played an evil doctor who uh, who was friends with a veterinarian. And I had a kind of Madonna whore complex. And I would invite women to have three ways with me and my doctor friend. And if they said yes... I would try to kill them because then they were not worthy of my love. Very ahead of the curve portrait of toxic oh. man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was criminal intent. And then I looked up the dates. This is also funny. These The SVU episode aired like literally a year to the day after the criminal intent episode. But the, as wow. you know, the Law and Order franchise reuses a lot of actors. The, the original Law and Order used to reuse people like Dennis O'Hare was on it like six times playing all kinds of people through the year. But yeah. I was very excited also just to do Law and Order because that's also a rite of passage for every New York actor. It's like, I finally did a Law and Order. <laughs> so I was glad they were using yeah. me again. How did you um, react when you found out that Amy Sedaris was your sister? And then how did you feel working with her? I thought it was delightful. Do you know, did you know her in advance? No, I don't think I'd met her before, but she's a lovely person. And then a literally like a couple years ago, I was on At Home with Amy Sedaris playing a funny character, just a one-off. And we had a little reunion. I'd, say I'd run into her a couple of times since yeah, then. Yeah. But I thought that was rather good casting. I think, I think we land as brother and sister for some strange Completely. reason. It's a funny Amy role because she's really playing it straight. <laughs> it's not like a yeah. comedic character. And she's just kind of like so desperately like, I don't know what to do. My brother's into this weird shit. I just like, yeah, and she lives she, on my couch. She reveals a little bit about our like we had. Apparently, we both had a messed up childhood. She, she sort of alludes to that without being too specific. So right. she's trying to make excuses for me. Speaking of working with other people, how was it getting shoved by Elliot Stabler and screamed at by Olivia Benson? Well, I got to yeah, say. You have a dream interrogation. <laughs> so we're shooting on the soundstage where they have their offices and the holding cell set. So Mr. Maloney is yeah grabbing me, pushing me against the bars. You know, going, why didn't you? You saw this happening and you didn't <laughs> tell anybody, you know. And they said, cut. And they went, uh, uh, the bars are bending. They, so it was wooden <laughs> bars painted black. Movie magic. And I'm, I'm a skinny guy. I don't weigh a lot. So uh, Maloney's pushing me against these bars and they're bending. And I thought, no, wait a minute. First of all, how long has this show been on the air? Couldn't Mr. Wolf just 
You don't need all iron bars. Just get like five of them for these close-ups that won't bend against a scrawny character actor. But then they, they found the angle where the bars weren't bending. When I watched the episode again yesterday and I thought, oh yeah, there's the bars, I thought. But he is a great guy. <laughs> Was he shoving you hard? No. No, no, just no, pushing okay. me against some thin wooden dowels painted black <laughs> and they bent right. a little bit against my massive <laughs> back muscles. Uh, but he's a lovely guy. And then it's funny, I worked with him again. I did a, I did a pilot, which didn't become a show, but I did a comedy pilot because, as you know, he's great at really scary drama and he's also really great at comedy. <laughs> yes, we love him in Wet Hot American oh my God. Summer. Like he's he's so fucking amazing. funny. And I did a comedy with him yeah. where we had like a little moment together that was really fun. So, yeah, through the years, one gets reunited with one's Law and Order uh, actors. <laughs> Did you notice um, that he had a juicy booty way back then and you were ahead of the curve or you shocked no, by his no. butt? I was aware that it was a workplace environment. I was very ahead of the curve in terms of <laughs> correct behavior 17 years ago. <laughs> One of my other favorite shows of all time is Sex in the City. Mm. And you do play another fetish guy. Another fetishy guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not not necessarily legally dubious, but perhaps morally <laughs> dubious. Yes, yeah. I am the foot fetishist shoe salesman in season two, very early season two. Uh, named Buster, right? Named Buster, which is uh, funny because <laughs> Buster, of course, Buster Brown, which I think it's a little joke on shoes. Yes. And then my Law and Order SVU character is named Wade, which I've always thought was perhaps a water-related pun <laughs> since he's into urine, and they named him Wade. So I don't know. I think it was deliberate. That was a great. That Sex in the City was really fun. No, I just remember um, <laughs> it was season two, and it wasn't quite the monolith it had become yet. It had only been on one season. I think it was popular. I remember I got HBO after I got that gig so I could watch it. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was directed by the independent film director, Alison Anders, who's made some great features and had was just doing that in TV as like a one-off, you know. And I remember putting a shoe on uh, Ms. Davis and her Gently suggesting that the way that actual shoe guys put shoes on, you know, you want to wiggle it a little bit. <laughs> so she, she gave me some advice on how to sell that I was a shoe. I was like, yeah, I guess I haven't really put shoes on women before in my how many decades of existence. So you got to learn these things. Well, another one of our favorite shows, um, also New York based, Difficult People. I oh, mean, thank you. Yeah. And love, that actually. Yeah, hats off. So I was a very old friend of Julie Klausner's. I've, I've known her for years. Who I've met Julie a couple of times and I, I'm a huge fan of hers. I've just always think she thought she was so smart and funny and I've read her book and love her. Well, and I thought she was very smart because she cast me, if you'll note, as a non-weirdo, <laughs> non-perv. Yeah, you are like the stable boyfriend. Frankly, <laughs> in terms of the universe of that show, I think I'm the most normal character. Yeah. And sort of the nicest. <laughs> He's the most grounded. <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> Uh, he's so funny. And the little nicknames he has for her. Everybody like, loves the nicknames. So funny. <laughs> Such a funny runner. Um, Lisa, I believe you wanted to ask this question about difficult people. <laughs> oh, okay. please. Yeah, I, uh, how was it working with the Basset Hounds? 
The Basset Hounds were fun. Now, of course, in real life, Julie has cats, but I guess she felt Basset Hounds are more theatrical. They're kind of funnier than cats, I guess. (laughs) The Basset Hounds were fun. There was a trainer who was a very quiet, intense man who would just stand there. You know that bartender stare when they're really busy and they're and they're they're not really looking at you and they're very deliberately like like a horse with blinders on. That's what he was like. He was so focused on the dogs. You couldn't even smile at him. And he would just stand there very intensely and, you know, do whatever they had to do. If they had to sit in the couch, he'd be there to make sure they sat in the couch. And then when it was done, he'd give them their little treat. So I was fascinated by the trainer guy who, you know, was always in those scenes. (laughs) Okay, so you have been in a bunch of these uh, fun New York shows. But if you were to go back to SVU, what's a role you'd want to play? You've played the weird. Oh, well, (laughs) you're in you're a feeling. This is crazy, ladies, but I have never played a lawyer. I don't think I've ever played a lawyer on a show. I love wearing a suit. I love wearing a suit on camera or on stage. I want to, you know, objection leading. I want to be one of those guys. Yeah, Your Honor. I could see I it. once played a judge on uh, uh, The Good Wife. He was a young, dashing judge, obviously. A young, yeah, cool, young, cool judge. judge cool but judge. Uh, <laughs> And I was like, wait, I'm going straight to judge? I want to be lawyer. So I would 100% want to be a lawyer on like any procedural, actually. Do you have a preference on if it's a defense attorney or a DA? No, no. And actually, in my tradition, I'd want to perhaps be defending a bad person. Uh, (laughs) I see it. I see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of. One of the girls from casting at SVU does listen to the podcast. (laughs) We do DM sometimes. It's been a long time since Toilet Boy. So no one's going to remember. I'm, you know. And hey, maybe Toilet Boy turned it around and became an attorney, changed his name. Makes sense, (laughs) right? Yeah, got out of jail. Yeah, got it. Good behavior. Good behavior. I I was going to say, I don't know if you know this, James, but we are both Virgos. You Uh, are a Virgo. I sure am. And we just saw a post online recently and so many serial killers are Virgos. Like a lot of killers are Virgos. Any thoughts? Well, I don't follow the astrology that closely, even though I am an actor (laughs) who lives in L.A. But aren't they aren't Virgos supposed to be kind of precise and have certain organizational and organized, which is ironic because I am in certain ways, but I'm also kind of a slob in general. I really had to learn how to be neat when I started living with people like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But I can but I also have a very precise mind organized like I'm into old movies and stuff and I can like name you obscure actors from the 30s and. I have a lot of information like that in my head. So I could see how that could perhaps yes. be used the wrong way. Much like my little man in SVU who uh, immediately says the number of the tape that the that the crime is on. Yeah, he knows exactly <laughs> the time code. It's a little bit And then bit they much. read from his notebook <laughs> and he's like describing the rear end of one of the unfortunate victims. And then he says, marigold yellow. He's got specific shades of urine color. Yeah. I mean, he's a disgusting person, but you got to give him that. He, <laughs> he might be a virgin. Yeah, he may, I, he's he, a 100% keeper. he was a Virgo yeah. and a virgin. <laughs> a, a total, a, a full Virgo, Virgo a full Virgo, where he's, he's uh, never had sex. <laughs> That's a gold star Virgo. Gold star Virgo, Virgo, yeah, who's yeah. never had sex before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything coming out or that you're working on that you oh, would like to share with us? Uh, yeah, yeah, plug it up. Uh, oh, I'm in a, there's a Netflix movie called Things Heard and Seen. Or is it Things Seen and Heard? Wait it's a, a ghost second. It's a ghost story. 
Who else is in that? Uh, Amanda Seyfried. Yes. And is Michael O'Keefe? Yeah, in Michael that? O'Keefe is in it, and Karen Allen's in it. We interviewed and Michael O'Keefe, Karen Allen, Amanda Seyfried, James Urbaniak, all SVU. That's an upstate alums. New York movie. It's it's set in the Hudson Valley, very beautiful part of the country, as you know. Yeah. And I have a little part in that. I play Ray Seahorn's husband. Uh, Ray Seahorn from from oh, cool. uh, yeah from Better Call Saul, yeah, uh, who is an old buddy of mine as well. And yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun kind of ghost story, and it's set in the eighties. So Ray and I are playing kind of uh, baby boomer, hippie generation uh, people who are sort of landed in the Hudson Valley. Cool. I have a scene where I smoke pot. <laughs> so oh, that's yeah. out there. Kara, <laughs> tell him the story with you and your husband. Okay, so this is this goes to this goes to a story. Do you know Carol? Carol's really good friend, Mindy Tucker. Yeah, I do indeed. And she took a great yeah. photograph of me as she's taken of many people. Quick side note, Carol is a mutual friend of me and James is from New York. I'm just saying one time she was like explaining to me how she how exciting it was to have like come from Alabama to New York. And she's like, I just can't believe I used to watch um, like the movie Henry Fool. And now I'm taking photos of James Urbaniak. And she's got this real, oh my she's got God. this real Very Alabama, thick Alabama accent. accent. So she loves, so she, we, she, my husband and I, who I think you've met as well. My husband, his name is Jared Logan. He's another comedian. He, oh yeah, yeah. I've met he, he and I would always just say James Urbaniak, like around the house <laughs> in her accent. <laughs> and, then, and then what he started doing is out of nowhere, sending me pictures of you from your IMDb on text and just going Urbaniak attack. So we have a funny little joke about you in my house. And I just wanted to I tell you that, love it. that if you look at my husband's and my text history, it's riddled with photos of you. <laughs> James Rubaniak. All right, Lisa, postmortem time. What have we learned? I mean, if you are starting to slur your, your uh, signature and feel very attracted to 13 year olds, go get checked out. You need to go get a brain scan. Yeah, it's wild um, that this could go undetected for forever if, you know, since there's not actually like physical medical problems. So like a tumor, like if you start acting different, definitely do something about it. <laughs> or if your friend starts acting different, call them out. Don't just be like, oh, all right. She's acting like a weirdo. Maybe, you know, yeah. like you have to help each other out. Yeah. I think it also like this episode really got me thinking about just like, we need to protect our heads in general, like with sports and like with any kind of like when you have like a traumatic brain injury and stuff, like just all that stuff needs to be looked at because it has, it leads to, uh, bad behavior sometimes like well yeah so my friend just got her driving permit and she took a photo at the dmv and it was a photo of like a person's body driving a car but then it was a drawing of a watermelon and it said protect your melon and she wrote like aren't our heads like enough like why does it have to be a melon like <laughs> i think it's compelling enough to protect our heads you don't have to play right. a funny game with this <laughs> but okay um yeah protect our heads i don't know if this is something we can actually do i mean the nfl even doesn't buy the best helmets for their yeah players that's what i'm saying i'm because like, I of money and deals like there are better helmets that can protect football players and they refuse to use them for i don't know commercial purposes or something it's yeah, weird. but of course, of course, you can also just get a tumor in your head, of course. But I'm just saying in general, you hear about CTE and all this like horrible shit because people just let their noggins get bashed in all the time. And it's not doesn't lead to anything good. Also, don't embarrass your child by being an alcoholic in public at their sporting events. Yeah, 
Like it sucks to be probably, you know, suffering and being an alcoholic, but keep it off the playing field because it'll ruin your kids forever. Yeah. As much as I love a road soda, I love drinking outside out of a, you know, innocuous drinking vessel, like some kind of plastic solo cup. Don't do it at your kids games. No, you can. You can have a few drinks. You can even get drunk. Absolutely. That is like social. Like if you're <laughs> if your kids have two, three softball games in one Saturday afternoon, you can have some white claws at the game. We're talking full on. <laughs> you're wasted just saying don't take it too far. <laughs> yes, this is for alcoholics only. Unfortunately, if you're someone that does not struggle with alcoholism, you can get drunk as long as you behave. Yeah. I just we both have a friend. I like I'm very close to the person whose mother is an alcoholic and him being embarrassed constantly by her in public, like years of therapy because he loves his mom and people liked her, but like the embarrassment and covering for her and people pleasing. And like, it really affected his personality and how he acts towards others being embarrassed constantly with his mom at sporting events. I think that's why this came to me, this this post-mortem bit, because I know someone that it really affected them being like humiliated constantly also if your brother is a freak you gotta turn him in you can't just let you know you can't just let a pervert on your couch yeah yeah no 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 i think you can also set some boundaries with a sibling like look i know that i am the preeminent new york city pcam uh purveyor but you i can't give them to you to do that with them like i'm sorry you can't use your sister's talent to feed your um I mean, I want to say hobby, but that's kind of like, it's not really a hobby. Um, it is. It's just a criminal hobby. It's just a criminal hobby. <laughs> now, when I look at my pee, I'm always like marigold yellow. <laughs> oh my God, me too. I've been being, I've been like, I wonder what James Urbaniak would feel about this color <laughs> of pee or his character, Wade. Um, but also, even if you are doing something illegal and something terrible happens, you need to get over yourself and help. At yes. least send an anonymous, something like See that. See something, like, say something for fuck's sake. Come on. Always. It, it, you know, it's always like, but I had coke in my pocket, so I didn't want to. And it's like, no one cares about your cocaine if yeah. someone is like choking to death, you know, like. Right. Get over yourself. This kid is being abused. Anonymous tips are important. Also, if you're a kid that gets to be in Central Park, you better fucking enjoy it. <laughs> so cool. Okay, now let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do segment, our weekly segment where we give you some more resources or organizations that can inform what you learned about in today's episode. Today, we want to highlight an organization called Male Survivor. It is a 501c3 nonprofit public benefit organization committed to preventing, healing, and eliminating all forms of sexual victimization of boys and men through support, treatment, research, education, advocacy, and activism. Their website is malesurvivor.org. So check them out. Um, And then next week, um, we will be covering the episode, I Deserve Some Loving Too. Yes, that is a war and light year. Um, (laughs) So if you want to count those letters or I'll tell you, it's season 21, episode 14. Again, always on Hulu, Peacock, your local library, spend some cash on Amazon, get a collector's DVD, and we will see you next week. That's 
That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>